0: Everybody, my
1: name is Michael Kaiser, and I'm John Wilson,
0: and welcome to another episode of Make Ours
1: Marvel. This is episode thirty-four of the show, which means if there's a podcast about it, there's probably porn of it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> that rule thirty-four just popped into my head as I was saying thirty-four, so you know. Um, Hey, we are not a porn podcast. No, that's Eat It and Beat It over at the Two True Freaks feed. No, this is a Marvel Comics podcast where we are talking about the old Marvel comics from the 1960s. Every single superhero story we can get our grubby little eyeballs on. And we are picking up today with the beginning of September 1963. And guess what, Mike? What? Our comics came out on September 3rd, and that's my wife's birthday. Wow. We are 17 years before she was born. Uh, I was just going to ask, did she get Sergeant Fury number four for her birthday? She did not. not. Um, She did not. Her mother would have been 13 or about to turn Ah. 13. Wow. Maybe her mom got
0: Sergeant Fury four for her birthday.
1: Maybe, but probably not. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But speaking of Sgt. Fury, of all the comics that came out on September 3rd, of course Sgt. Fury is chronologically the earliest because, you know, the whole World War II thing. So that's where we're going to start. Who's doing this one, Mike?
0: You know, I think for the first time you are.
1: (gasps) Am I doing a Sgt. Fury story? I don't think you've ever done one, have you? I don't think I have because... You're always like, I don't want to keep track of who the guys are, or right, I, yeah. and I don't so. want to
0: remember all this real history and these names and all that, and I just struggle through it. So I'm glad I can just sit back on this one and let you do that.
1: Oh, okay. Well, crap, because it's been like two weeks since I read this. So um, <laughs> right, I might cheat. I might cheat and look at the pages just a little bit. Okay, um, that's but, fair. I will too. Okay, so this is called Lord Haha's Last Laugh. And on the cover, we've got Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos bursting through the window um, to interrupt some sort of German dinner. This is like a scene right out of the story, too. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, this is issue four. Sergeant Fury four. OK, yeah. This is a really big issue for two very important reasons, which we will talk about as we go along. We open in um, London, which, of course, received such a beating during the war. Um, and we open right on a scene of, uh, of destruction and people running for their lives and trying to get to safety. And, uh, Sergeant Fury is present and he's helping, uh, rescue people. And he runs across this, um, nurse, um, at the scene and they, they have a bit of communication and they seem to, um, sort of click a little bit. Then, um, we go along and he goes, you know, he, he does everything he can to help there. So he leaves and goes back to, to um his base where he's staying, and he goes to the Howler's cabin and yells at him to get in line, and they get in line, and he um talks to him. I guess he leaves again. Um, during the course of this story, there is a radio show that goes out regularly. It's um, the broadcaster is goes by the name of Lord Haha, ha, and he is a an, uh, an Englishman who has gone over to the Germans. And so he goes on the radio and, like, makes fun of the English over the radio to try to tear down their morale. And it's all very terrible. Um, So back at the base, Sergeant Fury gets a letter inviting him to a very fancy dinner with an English lord. And so all the howlers are making fun of him. You know, he's got to get all dressed up and and spiffed up. And and, uh, he's like, you know, leave me alone. He shaves and puts on his fancy uniform with his t- necktie and everything. And he goes over to the manor to have dinner. And turns out this is the family of the nurse he had met on the battlefield. Um, and the uh, her father, Lord Hawley, is, is the, the lord of this manor. And her name is Pamela Hawley. And they, they talk and they meet. And turns out the mission that the lord wants to send him on is to rescue his son, Pamela Hawley's brother who is Lord Haha. Ha. He, uh, he is the man who has gone over to the Germans and Nick Fury has been given the task to go after him and rescue him. So he gets the howlers together and they go to Germany and, and uh, there's a lion um, that attacks <laughs> them like in the middle of the jungle. Um, turns out though that the lion is actually a, a lure. their contact on their contact in Germany is this woman who's a circus lion tamer and she's used a supposedly escaped lion as a reason to go out into the forest to meet them. But German soldiers have followed her out there and are helping her rescue the lion, which kind of like has screwed up her entire plan to like meet with the howlers. So Nick Fury and the guys have to like, you know, take care of some Germans. Uh, they meet with the woman. Um, she gets them into her circus so they have a, a way to to get into Berlin because part of the thing is like they're not just going to Germany. They're going to like Berlin, Germany. They're going to the heart of the Nazi empire. And so uh, they're going undercover of the circus. Um, there's some more shenanigans with sweet talking. Um, a German woman and, and Dino does that. I think it's a little bit of a joke because she's. Uh, drawn to be not that attractive, but he's like mo- like all mooning over her to say she's so beautiful. Um, they do exactly what's on the cover. They find Lord Ha Ha Holly at a dinner. They crash through the window. They get him. Um, they're running. There's there's fights with Nazis. Um, and at one point, uh, Holly says, "The Nazis will recognize me." They won't shoot me if I just run out there and try to escape these, these, you know, British or or American commandos, I'll be saved. So he runs out there and the Nazis are like, who's that guy running toward us? And they shoot him down. They shoot down, ha ha, or Lord ha ha. The the man that the howlers are trying to save. So then the howlers are like, Well, you know, futs it. We need to get out there and get away. So they they make a run for it. They all guns blazing. And in the process, one of the howlers, Junior Juniper, takes a bullet and dies in the arms of I think it's Dino. Yeah, Dino's holding him in his arms as he dies. And they have to leave him behind because they can't be slowed down by carrying his body. Or maybe they do carry his body out. I don't remember exactly what. But anyways, they finally get away. And um, Nick Fury has to deliver the news to Pamela that her brother is dead. And the story ends with them sort of walking off arm in arm as he comforts her during her loss. So, And that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet Pamela Holly. Who is going to be a character for a while and we lose Junior Juniper.
0: Who? Who is like, you know, who? I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh. really, I think this issue is one of the first ones to really start distinguishing some of the personalities a bit more. But if you're reading the stories, Junior Juniper and Reb Ralston, maybe look almost identical. They're both blonde, they're both young, and Junior has freckles, and Rebel has a southern accent, and that's how you can tell them apart. So, like, of all the Howlers, they, too, are the ones who looked most the same, so now we lost one, and it's easier to tell the other ones apart.
0: So, I switch back to Sergeant Fury number one real fast, because this mm-hmm. is the one spot where they introduce everybody. Right. And I'll just read it again since he died. Jonathan Jun- Junior Juniper was fresh out of an Ivy League college- Junior is the cheerful, eager beaver of the group, but don't let his youthful smile fool you he's fast as a panther and just as dangerous so he was like the kid mm-hmm. essentially, and the kid died yes so the, that's the kind youngest of center of the team it's cool that there's a death because i'm I'm a fan of death kind of I mean you know that sounded horrible, but you know like Sometimes a, death, death is nice element. as a story element. Death is cool, and in comics, we rarely get it, or we really we rarely get it in a permanent way, which is what death should be most right. of the time. Ever since Jean Grey, um, yeah, pretty much. So it's like now things die, and it's like okay, count to ten, and it'll be back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I assuming this guy won't come back because he's not that big a deal. He won't come back as like you know the uh, the uh, the Winter Soldier two or something like that. Um,
1: it's for to my knowledge Junior has never been resurrected or even hinted at a resurrection.
0: So then my only issue really is like I've said with this book in general is like it's hard to really get a grasp of these characters yet. I know we're only 4 issues in. Mm-hmm. But but all these stories so far are kind of the same in that they just all get thrown into this, you know, suicide mission and they all do slapsticky jokes and get through and maybe they name drop each other, but no one's like sticking out to where my brain latches onto it and remembers it now Dino see I remember Dino because last issue Dino had a problem with how they treated Italy right and had like this fun was it last issue or two issues ago I don't know last issue I think it was yeah I think it was last issue and like they were in Italy and he they met they went this he met like a a villager there and they were talking about how Italy had been destroyed and his mother you know where his his home country was ruined and stuff so now I kind of can remember Dino because he had a moment right and, of course, Nick has tons of moments, and Dum-Dum has tons of fun moments. Plus, I just know him from...
1: Yeah, Dum-Dum Dugan is, like, the most visually easy to discern because of the big red mustache. And yeah. he is he is the second in command of the unit.
0: And he's also from S.H.I.E.L.D., and Nick Fury's right. from S.H.I.E.L.D., so that's where I know them from. So they just I just know them already going into this. So, so, yeah, it sucks that there was a death, but at the same time, I wish I had cared more, I guess.
1: No, I, I just, get that. Because um, I just don't
0: know who that is.
1: And I think... I think it was a strategic move if they're going to kill someone to kill him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I honestly, I've been biting my tongue for months
0: <laughs> Oh yeah,
1: about this because, um, the idea that our howlers can die was yeah. something that you don't really get in comics. Like you were saying death is a count to 10 and it's, and it's, and it's reverse kind of thing. Um, but even in 1960s comics, if you're reading a story and an Avenger dies at the end, you kind of expect them to fix it really quickly. Mm-hmm. You don't expect anybody to stay dead. Uh, there's an Avengers issue kind of early on where the Wasp dies at the end of an issue, and the next issue starts with them rushing her to the hospital. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, one of those um, serial cliffhangers, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, death is a serial cliffhanger kind of thing, not an actual change in the, the characters. Um, but Gwen Stacy dies, Junior dies. Most of the people who die before Gwen, uh, before, uh, Jean Grey, I can't think of swordsman. Yeah. They, they die. They stay dead.
0: Bucky. Uh, (laughs) I mean, well, he did. He stayed dead for a long time. In fact, that was kind of the thing is Bucky and, and, uh, Cypher just had to be dead. You can't bring them back or something. Was it Cypher? The new mutants kid?
1: Yeah. Cypher, right? Yeah, yeah. Doug, uh, Doug Ramsey. So yeah, Doug Ramsey. B- Bucky so don't is bring those the, guys back.
0: That's the rule. Bucky's kind of the
1: exception that proves the rule, because like bringing him back was a really huge deal, and they really had to sell it.
0: Yeah, and they, they took a long time doing it. It wasn't mm-hmm. a, a quick deal. But um, it's interesting they picked the youngest guy on the group. I wonder that, you know, because this book may or may not be based on things that Stan and Jack experienced, you know, in the war. And I, I'm willing to bet that Oftentimes the youngest guy in the group did eat it because they're the most inexperienced and, you know. And
1: certainly it's a story trope that we've seen before in war movies. Right. The, the, the innocent young guy is the one who gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, before we get too far into the story, just a couple of things um, that I wanted to mention. When we are talking about World War II, I, I've had a couple of thoughts. First, Stan and Jack are both Jewish uh-huh. And we've had a couple of po- Like there was, there was a. I think our first issue coverage, where they like used the word Holocaust in kind of a weird way. We were sort of poking fun about it, and I think it was Gene Hendricks, one of our listeners, who pointed that out. And he's like, you know, they they probably get a pass for uh, using Holocaust in maybe a weird way because as as Jewish writers, they probably were knew exactly what word they were choosing. Um, but anyways, also. Uh, it's been pointed out that Gabriel Jones is a black man in a unit with white men.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: while it's not impossible that that have happened, that definitely may have happened. Racial segregation was still the policy in World War Two. So mm-hmm. like um, they they put Gabe Jones in this unit, which brings Marvel's first prominent African-American character into the universe. And I also like it because sometimes being overly devoted to historical race roles just isn't that necessary. I mean, you don't, depending on the story you want to tell, you don't have to necessarily follow every historical rule of how racial interactions played out. You can you can well, mix they, that up a little bit.
0: They certainly don't do that in reverse, anyway. You know, right. historic, historically, there's a lot of white people doing things that white people didn't do in lots of movies and television. Certainly. So. So you could reverse it. But also, in this case, you could argue that, you know, presumably this isn't just a random group that got together. This is an elite squad that was formed by either, you know, Sam Sawyer or Nick Fury or both. And maybe they just saw this guy's credentials and were like, we need this dude on our team.
1: And I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, The Broadway musical Hamilton, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, um, the the – the redo of it's a bird's a played at Superman musical from a few years ago in Dallas, all of those certainly cast um, you know, cast their characters. They don't always they don't always use their people of color in roles that oh they would never do that in history. Um mm-hmm. so it, it, it's good. And I, I like yeah, that. It's fine. Um I kind of hate the title of this issue. Lord Ha. <laughs> yeah, so- Lord
0: Ha ha's last laugh. So does this guy? Is this guy based on anybody in particular? I wonder. I, I don't know why I think that. that. It just seems weird. This whole like was there a known traitor uh, from England or something that, that went to the other side? Or I don't know. I should like look so up many before I just ask you things like that. But
1: yeah, like so many war stories, is the sort of thing that I feel like it could have happened. I just don't know that it did because
0: you know there was that king who was a king for five minutes and then gave it up because they wouldn't let him marry his his girlfriend. Um, and he was a known like Nazi promoter and hang out with Adolf Hitler. So like, thank God he actually gave up the throne and they gave it to, I think King George or whatever, his brother who ended up being like him and Winston Churchill were like the ones who pretty much, you know, kept the people motivated while their city was attacked every five minutes. So, um, I'm not saying that's what this guy's based on, but it just seems weird because he's got like a ring in this one panel. Like I'm supposed to care about that. Uh, And he has a very distinct face. I think the
1: ring was to link her, link him to the family.
0: Oh, okay, that makes sense. Did they have rings? They probably did.
1: Yeah, Um, like the symbol on the the family on the ring. Okay, I'm trying to see. I don't see
0: that though. I don't see that anywhere. So I don't know. Every time they draw a face that's very interesting looking, I always wonder if it's supposed to be based on somebody because usually they just do generic square jawed faces, you know. And this guy has like a mustache and a creepy smile.
1: Oh, you know what it is—the ring on page six, and you turn the page, and the the emblems on the envelopes he's getting
0: are the same. Oh, hey, look at that! That's pretty cool.
1: So that's a little bit subtle, uh, subtle art stuff. The ring stuff—the ring sticks out a lot more than the envelopes do, though.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But still, good catch. Okay, so it is a family ring.
1: Yeah. What'd you think of Pamela? Because I kind of love her.
0: She's cool. I like that. I like the twist that like. It seemed like her family was under the impression he was being her the brother was being pressured into doing the radio show, and then you get there and you're like, "Um, I don't think this guy was pressured. Yeah, I think I think he wants to be there, and he and then in the end, like Nick lies to tell her to make her think continue to think that he was just being pressured, and he died a hero and all that stuff. So that I forgot about that was a good twist.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that nuance of the story that they didn't realize that he was a voluntary traitor.
0: Yeah cuz i i was it was nice because i didn't know that i was i was believing them you know cuz when we first get introduced to him all we really hear about is the radio and stuff mhm and he's talking about how they're using him as bait to get you know whatever and then you think okay well he's really a good guy but then when you get there no he's not a good guy at all he wants to stay and not be rescued and he screams the entire way
1: um When he goes to the dinner, when he's getting ready for the dinner, and when he's at the dinner, I love Nick Fury's humility through all of that. Mm -hmm. Like, he is really uncomfortable being around people who are this, like, status wise above him. Uh huh. And that same aspect of his personality comes out well when he's brought into S.H.I.E.L.D. He's an army sergeant. He never expected to be anything more or better. He sees himself as, like, a glorified brawler who's paid to yell at other brawlers. And when anyone sees him as anything more than that, he's kind of baffled.
0: You know what's interesting? I was kind of feeling the opposite in a way. Like, I was thinking, I can't wait till we get to S.H.I.E.L.D. to see if he's any different. Because the Nick Fury I know from 80s, 90s, 2000s, he always seemed like the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. You know, he's like (laughs) super spy guy. And this dude seems more like if Ben Grimm went to a tea party. Only Ben Grimm only has three fingers and, you know, they're rocks. So he has an excuse for not being able to pick up a teacup. Whereas Nick Fury is like sweating here. You know, because he has to drink tea. I so imagine it's like, he, it'd be interesting to see, like, if he changes when we get the Steranko, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's Steranko that does. It. I mean, in-universe, we can say that Nick Fury kind of, like, you know, gets more comfortable in the role with his new job. Mm-hmm. But I think Nick Steranko sort of, like, suaving him up and making him more of a super spy kind of character mm-hmm. is, is really goes to inform the... I think Steranko is to Nick Fury as Frank Miller is to Batman. He sort of like sets the tone for the character going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he still is like a guy from the streets. Mm-hmm. That's never in question. But yeah, I don't feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury would ever be nervous at a tea party for some reason. So no. it's cool. I like seeing like younger World War II, you know, doesn't know what he's doing, Nick Fury.
1: But I've just recently read like the beginning of the S.H.I.E.L.D. series and he's still very much this guy. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay. So we get to Germany and we get to the lion. And first of all, there's a really awesome panel on page eleven where like the lion sneaks up behind Dum Dum Dugan and Dugan uh-huh. like freaks out when the lion runs him over.
0: Yeah. But it's a- so random because we're just sitting there in the woods and then there's a panel of Dum-Dum talking and there's a lion behind him. <laughs> and it's like, okay,
1: what? And you can see that visually. like You can imagine like the cameras are kind of on him talking and like out of the shadow behind him is this lion face comes into view. <laughs> right? It's pretty funny. But I-, I was imagining being the woman. Okay, so like you rig it so your lion supposedly gets lost and you have to go look for him. But then the soldiers feel like they should help you and you're all like, well crap, I'm supposed to meet the allies. How am I gonna do that? And, like it gets all stressful, like you're worried the entire time. Yeah, mm-hmm. all these soldiers. With, and, and, and I just it was I thought it was a fun scene.
0: That's a real um a real uh uh convoluted way to make an excuse to go in the woods though, that's for sure. Making your I guess lion you got soldiers escape. looking at you, you gotta you Yeah, gotta you make gotta it up do something. Go. Yeah. Um
1: Um The I like the feminism in this with Pamela and the blonde. I think they're both very, you know cool characters and which is why i kind of like want to yell at the guys whenever they call the circus woman baby and honey i'm like no don't do that she's not your honey she's 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 your contact stop that
0: yeah you know now that you say that this book does seem to like having strong foreign females helping them out
1: right and it's the only book that has i mean except for jan maybe acting young and and we can sort of explain that it's the only book that has women acting like normal equal people and not being put down for being women
0: mm-hmm. yeah but, jane uh, foster would never do this
1: yeah and susan storm is you know i don't know
0: yeah she's not quite there yet but
1: she's not as the thing is like as susan storms and reed richards's relationship progresses that's actually going to get worse a lot I know. before it gets better
0: <laughs> yeah that's unfortunate
1: um but yeah, I, I like the women in this book. I think they do a good job. And, and Pamela Hawley, too. I mean, in my mind, she's played by Hayley Atwell. And Hayley Atwell is such a classy actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think she brings a, a good gravitas. And I, in my mind, that's just who she is. Um, so I was wondering about the structure of the story and that we get some downtime with the Howlers. It doesn't really contribute to the story. And I was wondering if they did that to sort of like bring out the characters just a little bit more... So then if junior does die at the end, it feels a little bit more personal. But you didn't really feel it at the end, so maybe not.
0: Well, I just, like, I can't think of a single junior moment in four issues, you know? Because like to me, again, they're just all kind of interchangeable.
1: Kind of the same.
0: Sadly. Except for Trumpet Guy and, uh, you know, Dino now, I guess. But Trumpet Guy, I only know because he's always playing the trumpet, not because of his character. Other right. than his obsession with trumpet playing. I don't know what motivates him. I don't know, you know, whatever. And I apparently don't know his name because I just called him Trumpet Guy 15 times.
1: <laughs> Gabriel Jones. Gabe, Gabriel
0: Jones, right. So, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to maybe if this book will ever stop just doing the constant suicide mission, every issue from, you know, wall to wall. I mean, this one was nice. The beginning had the whole, uh, you know, he having to go to that person's house and meet the meet the girl of his dreams and all that fun stuff. That was good. So it changed it up a little bit. But then it got right back into fight, 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 overseas, fight, 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 fight we're all going to die, fight, 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 let's escape. Yeah. The end.
1: Well, I am running out of things to say about this. There is one funny line that kind of made me think of something random. Um, not really a funny line, but my mind went to a weird place. On page 18, mm-hmm. um, in the third panel, it says, uh, Fury's talking to Izzy, on, the, and he says, it's now or never, is what's the answer, guy, did you do it? I'll never let you down yet, Sarge. Plant that size 13 of yours on the gas pedal and let's take off. Okay. All my life, every time someone says size 13, my mind goes to the closing credits of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Tone, put that big ass size 13 on and kick it for the homies. <laughs> every single well, time. Well, that's <laughs> obviously where
0: he got it. Obviously. It's this issue right
1: here. <laughs> So, but yeah. Um did you have any other thoughts on this one? I have a couple of no. closing things, but anything about the story? No, I pretty much. I think we got okay. it. Okay. Well, Junior did appear in Agent Carter. Um there was one flashback episode in the first season that like um they went back and did a, a episode with the Howlers back in the 50s and or mm. back in the 40s rather. No, in the 50s, because the story was set in the 50s, so there was a Howler mission, and Junior was on that mission. Um, He was actually killed in action in that episode. So So, was Junior in Captain America First Avenger then, or no? No, no, he was not one of the ones they rescued. But as soon as they said Junior, I was like, oh, he's going to die, isn't he? Yeah. And then he died.
0: Hey, well, that's cool. I like that when they do little nods to super geeks.
1: This issue did have a house hat for Avengers 3. Uh Uh-huh. Which was weird because like it's two months away. We haven't read issue two yet because it's in the stack we brought home from the comic shop, but like we don't we haven't actually read it yet, and we're getting ads for issue three. So that was weird. It's cool,
0: cool uh, ad though. Kind of. It's got like Submariner flying at you and says next issue Submariner, and everybody's looking concerned. What's funny is the Hulk's. And this is around the time that Marvel started
1: doing like the generic house ads.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have Ant Man or Giant Man.
1: No, it doesn't. Why doesn't it have Ant-Man or Giant-Man?
0: And it has Hulk. That's which weird. We, which we will find out probably next episode why that's weird. Spoilers. Oh,
1: yeah, spoilers. Um, and there's our usual page of guns. And um, Uh-huh.
0: How many guns? Freaking like, I guess they're all different kinds of guns. This is combat rifles, and before we did, what, machine guns and mm-hmm. hand pistols or something? Right. It's like, gosh, there's nothing else to talk about but guns, I guess. No, they did one with uh, uniforms, I think. I don't know.
1: Yeah, there was one that like, the the German uniform.
0: Oh, the German uniform and how awesome it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, so far, three guns and a uniform. Interesting. They'll run out of ideas pretty soon. Maybe they'll do tanks or something next.
1: They stop with the bonus page eventually. I don't know exactly when that happens. Have you looked ahead to see what's happening in issue five? I have not. Okay, well, issue five does bring an important character in. Two important characters, actually. So... So, you know um, what's
0: funny is you would think that it's impossible to like be spoiled on 1960s comics, but I follow a couple people on Twitter. One of them is you, mm-hmm. and one of them is a guy,
1: Jason Schnick something or other. Jason Venable on the Snicked cast, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you guys are both doing these Marvel read-throughs of the 60s. In addition to this read-through, I guess, you're also doing one 10 years, five years ahead, three years ahead. I don't know how far. Yeah. And you guys keep posting panels, and sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's like, dang, I wish I didn't read that.
1: I'm Sorry. So- <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not your fault. It's my fault for following you. But like the other day, he posted a Sergeant Fury one that I didn't know about. And now I know what's going to happen. And I wouldn't have oh. known because I've never read Sergeant Fury. So it's interesting. It's like, wow, you actually can be spoiled from something from, you know, the 60s. Weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, I'm a little bit surprised. Hi, Jason. Uh, Jason said he was going to read Sergeant Fury along with the show, but he's definitely gone ahead of the show. He's about Apparently. where we are. Yeah. So um, that's OK. That's OK. Jason, yeah. read, you read... You do you. Yeah, all I'll right. just unfollow
0: well, you. That's all. No problem.
1: <laughs> well, that takes us to the modern era.
0: Yay! The Atomic Age.
1: Dun-dun-dun. Speaking of because atomic and
0: atom and radiation. And that's, that's what I radiation. mean. Because, because of the X-Men.
1: The X-Men. We're
0: on X-Men number two, gang. So for all you X-Men lovers, too deep now. Yeah. This one's called No One Can Stop the Vanisher. You know, that really popular X-Men villain? <laughs> uh cover dated november 1963 also came out september 3rd 1963 by stanley jack kirby with inks by paul reinman and letterer sam rosen and i'm going to try and go off the top of my head even though i also have not read this in two weeks so that might be a scary idea but let's see what happens to be uh, fair, I could,
1: I could do this one more easily than i could do the sergeant Fury. oh one. yeah
0: i totally understand sergeant fury is way more complicated spandex i got uh <laughs> Speaking of spandex, the X-Men are all running around the city in their spandex. I can't remember if it says why. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. It like doesn't. they were all they were all just hanging out at the movies or something, and then decided to go home in their own independent, separate way. And it's all this fun, like it kind of reminded me of like the Fantastic Four issue number one, where essentially they're going through the city tearing it apart needlessly. Um uh, I think, like, Cyclops saves somebody's life because construction is going to fall on their face or something. And, oh, Angel gets swamped by a bunch of teenage girls and, and uh, Jean Grey has to, like, telekinetically move them all off him because he's so cute. Uh, but anyway, eventually their stern taskmaster, Professor X, mentally calls them home. So they all go home. And he projects in their brain or on the wall, however you want to interpret it, that he has sensed a new villain, a new mutant. Not that kind of new mutant. Uh, is there another word for new? Like, so we don't say new mutant all the time. Just lowercase anyway, letters. Yeah, lowercase new mutant. Um, who has the ability to vanish, and he can like. And then it cuts to that guy as if they're talking about him, and that guy's just walking around in a costume, and the cops are like, "Dude, what are you doing?" He's like, "It's not illegal to be in a costume. Now tell me where the bank is. I'm going to rob it." Uh, it's not illegal for to have intentions. Uh, okay. Well, we'll escort you to the bank, and then after you rob it, we'll arrest you. Fine. So he goes in there, he pulls out a gun, he he robs it, but then before they can arrest him, he vanishes because he's the Vanisher. Um. So the X Men are like, "Wow, that's a cool power." And Professor X is like, "Yeah." So now I want you to train. Here's this new room I created. It's called the Danger Room, and we're gonna try and see how if we can like, you know, make your reflexes faster. So there's all these trainings about trying to catch the chicken and grab the ball and you know don't fall down the hole and all this stuff. Meanwhile, the Vanisher. Goes to the Pentagon and finds these two generals who are, like, talking about some really important plans that they have on this table. And he goes, hey. And they're like, hey. He goes, uh, I'm going to come back soon and I'm going to steal those plans. And they're like, "Yoikes!" And then he just disappears. So I think – I don't know when it – no, it's later maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he comes – he uh, – in, like, one panel, he, uh, he like, uh, garners or uh, becomes the leader of this gang. Like, all these guys think he's so cool because he can vanish that so they all want to be part of his gang. So, now he has this huge gang. And, anyway, he does, as promised, go back to the Pentagon. And he easily steals the paper by vanishing in, vanishing out, Nightcrawler style. And But the X-Men are there, waiting. That's because the Pentagon the Pentagon guy, like, talked to Professor X or something with this cool, like, head bracelet that Professor X gave him. So, anyway... The X Men are there, and they try and fight him, and they sort of play keep away um, successfully for a little bit. But ultimately, he's the Vanisher, and he can just pop in and out anywhere. So he easily grabs the thing and disappears. And they all go, "Ah, shucks." So they go home and they train some more, I think. But then ultimately, it's like Professor X, or you know, I think the the Vanisher says he's going to come back, and he wants like ten million dollars, and he'll give the plans back. So he goes back to the to Washington. And he has all his gang with him on the lawn and like the X-Men show up, but they're like, we brought a secret weapon and they step aside and up wheels, you know, the elderly or, you know, uh, uh, uh paralyzed or whatever, professor X and the Vanisher's like, ha ha, you can't do anything. And professor X keeps staring at him. He says, you can't do, ah, oh, I can't vanish. What? Ah, oh, I can't even remember who I am. So basically the, uh, professor X blabotomizes him, I guess. And then, um, all the bad guys are like, hey, that's not cool, and they try to attack Professor X, but of course the X-Men can handle regular people, so they beat them all up. And then in the end, they're like, gee, good job, Professor. I'm glad you came. And he's like, yes, remember, kids, the most important power in the universe is the human brain. Uh, well, my human brain. Not yours. And actually, (laughs) I'm not really human. I mean, I'm human, but I always refer to humans as humans and us as mutants. So it's kind of weird that I even called myself human right now. But yeah, my brain is the most powerful weapon in the world. The end.
1: The really strange end, yes. Yeah. I hadn't thought about this. the beginning scene as being like the Fantastic Four number one, but you're right. They are in the city, though, for some reason, and they're in costume for some reason. And we'd, uh, we, we have no, no explanation.
0: Yeah, at least with the Fantastic Four, they were all doing something in their civvies, except for Thing. And, like, they got called, and then they went, you know, they un- disrobed and became the Fantastic Four and did weird stuff. This just starts out the X-Men separately are running around town, and,
1: and I don't and know why. They're together in the first page. You'd expect them to, like, you know, all go together somewhere, but nope. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're They're not even going to take the same route home. They do their own thing and... I don't know. It showcases powers and it's, you know, it serves some story purpose, but it's a little bit random.
0: Yeah. It's some page filler, really. And although, although it is cute that Iceman and Cyclops go home in an ice cream cart so he doesn't melt.
1: And then ice cream, ice, Iceman, of course, eats ice cream. Yeah. The and they charge him
0: for it. That was funny. Yeah.
1: Gene faints from using too much telekinesis in this, which I don't think we um, got in the first issue. That she can, like, you know, mentally exhaust herself by lifting too much. So, evidently, Yoda was wrong. The amount of mass you're trying to move does matter.
0: Or she just thinks it matters. Or she. Because Luke was like, I can't, it's too heavy. Well, why does he think that? Because he thinks that he's just psyching himself out. Oh. Um, So, do you think that Gene and uh, Angel are having a thing right now? I mean, obviously, this won't last, but um there is they're together and they've got yeah. this they've got this like whole like angel so hot there's like eight random women just swarming on him to kiss him and she gets i don't know if she gets jealous or just wants to save him but she pushes them all off and puts them on top of a movie theater roof and then he like picks her up in his arms and flies her home so it seems a little romantical
1: i think he definitely has a thing for her
0: yeah because they might all be do
1: teasing him a little bit and she seems a little bit more annoyed with all the women than anything else but i don't i don't think that she's attracted to him. At least not okay. any more than a he's kind of cute way. Okay. That's how I read it.
0: It's interesting that at right now they're not stinking mutants yet.
1: Maybe no. That's,
0: maybe that's a long time coming. Like they're actually, these women are cool that there's a superhero that they can hug. <laughs> but maybe that's not a thing yet to be hated.
1: It doesn't take that long to happen though. Mm-hmm. Because um, the... I don't know if you ever read any of the time displaced X Men, the all new X Men series that brought the teenage X Men to the present day. I've heard about it, but I haven't read it. So that spins out of you know, a, a, a basically issue eight. Okay. And and the scene that it spins out of is Hank McCoy gets like mauled by a mob because mm. he's a mutant. Okay. So at least by issue eight. But of course, this is bi-monthly, so issue it's quite a ways away from us. But um by then we should see something. Yeah. Um so Xavier gives demerits on page five. <sighs> Xavier's a jerk. He is a jerk. He says, give yourself one demerit Iceman, but he doesn't actually give a lot of demerits. It's just one of those things that like we associate with him. And there's that one time in like early in the Claremont room when he tries to give Wolverine demerits, it just doesn't work. Um, so, we like, we we associate it with it, Professor X, but I don't actually remember a whole lot of demerits that he hands out.
0: Well, so, you know, I went to public school, so what the heck is a demerit? I mean, you collect enough of them, you get ice cream, or what? Like, how does this work? What is the I system? Think,
1: I think you collect enough of them, you lose ice cream. Demerit means you're losing value. You just – So, right. The opposite of brownie points, poop points. So, you, points. you, just got so you points. start out
0: with 100, and if you get below 65, you can't go outside?
1: I guess. Yeah, you can't okay. play at recess.
0: All right. But can you get merits then? Ooh. Can you heal? Can you get it back? Know. Or are you, you, just you stuck re- at 65 forever?
1: You regain your status?
0: I guess it's like um, Harry Potter points, but backwards or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't those, know. Those English are weird. <laughs> um, yeah. He is just not a cool dude. I find that he rubs me the wrong way so far on both these issues. Like he just seems very strict and very non, not particularly warm he almost seems alien and that's in a way kind of weird because if he's the good guy who wants to draw in the mutants as for a place for sanctuary we well, say so we haven't really got to that cuz again they're not hated yet or anything mm-hmm. so it's like he's just creating this army so he's like a drill sergeant and his army's going to fight the bad guy army he's not really a house haven yet for you know stranded or scared outcasts
1: he he is just kind of the domineering adult and you could read it as he's the adult and they're the kids. And so we're not going to necessarily sympathize with him very much because we're on the kids level. Mm -hmm. But somebody on Facebook recently said in a random group that I'm part of that they didn't like, you know, who was the writer who decided to start, you know, portraying Xavier as a non sympathetic. And I'm kind of like, I think that was Stan Lee. I think, (laughs) um, I think early Xavier is really not very, you know, the guy who fakes his death like three times in the first X-Men series. That's the guy. Um, he's not the most sympathetic person.
0: Well, I'm trying to think if he's ever been sympathetic or that or if that's just like a uh, Patrick Stewart thing. Because, I think he, because I, mostly X-Men, I read he wasn't even around. right. Inferno and all that stuff. Was he there? Not really.
1: Not really. I think he warms up a bit in the like the animated series era of the book. Uh-huh. Um, I think he does warm up a bit. But, but yeah, I mean, through a lot of the 80's, he's either present and being a jerk. Where he's off with his space bird girlfriend.
0: So he's not very fatherly, I guess, is my problem. And you think if he's the guy who's supposed to like put all the good mutants in one house and take care of them, who wants to hang out with this guy?
1: And I guess Scott also being kind of a jerky personality, like warms up to that and that's why they all feel so father and son like until you know Cyclops kills him.
0: Or it's because nothing's ever good enough, so that puts him in the fatherly role. Maybe anyway
1: anyways we'll find
0: out that that one podcast you listen to certainly hates professor x so i'm i'm guessing that uh uh he's not nice most of the time
1: (laughs) he's not uh, yeah yeah a lot of the time what did you think of the vanisher's first interaction like with the cops and they're like i guess there's no law against whatever well
0: i wasn't sure if that's true but i also didn't take the time to look it up uh I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense on paper. Like, if I went to a cop and said, can you show me where the nearest bank is? I'm going to rob it. Like, could they arrest me for that or stop me or question me? Or or do they have to wait until I do something?
1: I don't know. And it kind of reminded me of Amazing Spider-Man 4, the opening scene where, like, Spider-Man sees the people about to rob the jewelry store uh-huh. and he stops them and then, like, make fun of them and get a cop over there. Mm-hmm. So... You know, In that light, I can kind of see the cops, they're they're waiting for the dummy to walk out with the stolen cash. They can grab him and say, hey, you just robbed a bank or a store, I mean, or whatever it is. Is it a bank? No, it's a store. Anyways, whatever it is, I can see that logic. I just don't know if that's how police law enforcement actually has to work.
0: I feel like if you're in costume, because it's the Marvel Universe, and it's new, maybe later in the Marvel Universe, if you're in costume and you say you're going to rob a bank, they should at least frisk you or something. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's even legal. Can you frisk me if I've done nothing wrong? I don't know. But he does have – does he have a gun in this or does he just ask for money and they give it to him? doesn't seem like he has a gun or anything. He
1: has a gun in that first panel on page six. okay.
0: So there you go. He has a gun. That's – I don't think you can just walk around with a gun. I'm not sure if that's true. But then again, did they know he had one? They
1: didn't – You don't see it on page five. So he pulls it on page six.
0: Yeah. And then they're standing there with their gun. And of course, he disappears. But – yeah, right. that all seemed to. It seemed kind of like funny, but I was also reading it, going, "Is that how that would really work?" I don't know. Do we have any course, cop? Do we have any cop listeners? What happens if someone tells you they're going to rob a bank and asks you for directions?
1: Yeah, of course, it's probably really different now because police powers seem so much more extreme and often misused in the media and stuff. So I don't even know. Yeah. Um, on that last page, panel on page six, they're practicing their or they're, they just watched the the PowerPoint video. And then suddenly Iceman's like, mutant or not, we'll handle him. When will he get the taste of my machine gun ice pellets? Zowie! And he starts shooting the machine gun ice pellets everywhere. And Professor X is like, Marvel Girl, quickly, show me how you to defend yourself. And Cyclops saw, go to it, gorgeous. Teach that immature idiot a lesson once and for all. And I'm like, teach that immature idiot a lesson once and for all. That is very Scott. Yeah. And Iceman Bobby is being very Bobby. Yeah. And frankly, Xavier is being very Xavier. Okay, yeah. show me how you take care of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a very, very on-brand moment.
0: So before that, he like um, – like you said, the PowerPoint presentation, mm-hmm. it shows little wavy lines from his brain to the wall to suggest that he's projecting this image onto the wall. You're right. We, 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 meant- we know later that tele- telepathy doesn't really work like that, if it works at all, of course. Um, so in my brain, I just rewrote that to say that he was just making them see that on the wall. Mm-hmm. by tapping into their brains and making them see whatever he wants them to see.
1: So he's not actually projecting an image, but he has yeah. influenced their minds to see an image. Yeah.
0: I'm just trying to no prize that because otherwise it's kind of silly. I like
1: uh, it.
0: Um, and also he says he senses the vanisher. So that's how the vanisher is introduced. Professor X just straight up goes, hey, there's a new mutant in town, lowercase. It's the vanisher.
1: Yeah, no Cerebro.
0: No Cerebro. So he can, on a limited level at least, detect new mutants in the city,
1: maybe. Maybe, or we could retcon that he does have Cerebro uh-huh. and Stan and Jack just don't know about it yet. I guess. So Professor X is just choosing his words vaguely, knowing full well that the vanishers of mutinies. Because when Cerebro does finally get introduced, the students don't know about it either. But
0: it so depends on maybe, how he introduces it. Because if he says like 32 issues from now, hey, I just built this yesterday. Right. But if he That's says true. I've had this the whole time. But anyway – I can see, like, as a powerful telepath, that maybe he has the ability, Highlander style, to sense other immortals that are in proximity or something. I don't know. So
1: he can take their heads off? Yeah. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. First appearance of the danger room.
0: Yay. Very boring appearance, but I was amazed that it was so fast. I thought it took a while.
1: Yeah. And I didn't realize that their training sequence in the first issue wasn't the danger room. So I went back and looked, and it's just the sitting room.
0: Yeah, it's just like, their house.
1: They're just hanging out. Like the room in the first page of the first X-Men issue when they like fly in and give Professor Xavier his blanket and everything, that's the same room where they start training and fighting off projectiles and everything else.
0: Yeah. So like his whole house is rigged with random missiles just in case he wants to test their abilities.
1: That's what I that's how I live with my house.
0: Yeah, you know, got to keep those kids in shape.
1: Right. Um Okay, so moving along.
0: Is it a bit creepy that you he like th- he, he he tests their like blood pressure and stuff while they're working out? I don't know. He's a doctor now too. I guess they just seem like he seems like he just treats them like cattle, kind of like they're just expendable soldiers, super soldiers to him.
1: That is a weird way to look at it. Like I got to make sure that you're still you know functioning within you know normal parameters before I use you and do something else.
0: Like he does he ever say be careful. Or anything like that, you know. Like he doesn't seem to care. Just go faster. Let me feel your heart. Yeah, you're okay. Go you're run okay. twelve miles. It's
1: like a horse. Mm-hmm. Um. So on page ten, the Vanisher disappears, mm-hmm. and the army guy's like, oh, "No." The Vanisher says, "For I am indeed a true mutant, one of those destined to replace the human race. I am Homo Superior." Yeah. And he's just like, "Is he talking to the guards?" Or is he talking to us? Because the X-Men were just now arguing over whether or not the Vanisher was a mutant. And now he's like, oh, yes, I am a mutant.
0: Yeah. And did Magneto or X-Men at all in number one say homo superior? Or is that also the first time we're hearing that?
1: Magneto said homo superior. Okay. The X-Men did not.
0: But someone already coined it. X-Men I dollar, guess. In X-Men number one. I
1: was wondering where the common lingo came from.
0: Yeah. That I don't know. Doesn't seem like a good guy would make
1: up that term, but who knows? So we find out the Vanisher is basically just a poor man's nightcrawler. He is not a Susan Storm knockoff. He's a Kurt Wagner knockoff.
0: Well, he doesn't leave stinky clouds behind, so that's kind of nice. That is good. But, uh, yeah. And and like the Vulture, he has to, like, brag about everything. So he doesn't just come and steal the plans. He tells them he's going to steal the plans later.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And then goes back and does it.
1: You're right. That is what the vulture did in that first issue. He's like, yeah. I'm going to steal. Ha ha
0: ha. Yeah. He just wants to show everybody that he can't be stopped. So he's going to tell them his plans ahead of time and then just do it anyway. Just like he did with the bank.
1: You can never stop a man with wings. You can never stop a man with a puffy pink hood.
0: Horrible costume, by the way. Uh, um, I, hate, I don't it, hate it. hate it. It looks like he's trying to do a snake motif for some reason. Right? Because a little
1: squiggly black line up the front of him. Yeah.
0: And the scales. Uh, yeah, it does look serpenty. Like especially the back of the hood looks like a, a cobra, you know. It is like, a weird costume. It's very weird. And have it's you pink. read any other
1: Vanisher stories before this?
0: No. He comes back, I take it, huh?
1: Not a whole lot, and I think there's a Lady Vanisher in the more modern comics. But um I mentioned he's a kind of a nightcrawler knockoff. He and Nightcrawler actually have a couple of stories together later. And um there's an eight-issue X-Men spin-off miniseries in the '80s called Fallen Angels, and he's in that. And that's okay. actually a really good series. It's a good ensemble cast. I mean, if you think
0: about it, it's a pretty awesome power. Mm-hmm. So maybe if he just changed his looks and stopped acting like a turkey, he'd be kind of interesting.
1: Um, let's see. More,
0: there's a lot of training in this, and then it turns out they don't even stop him. So all that training was kind of for nothing.
1: Yeah, and Bobby is. Ugh.
0: Like they really like the training. X-Men number one had a lot of training too. Like that's Stan's thing is let's have him train some more.
1: Maybe they're just trying to figure out how to pad out the plot. I guess. There's a bit on page 12 on the last panel where um, I think that, you know, Iceman is like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause Jean Grey says, Bobby, stop. What are you doing? Um, Oh, the previous panel says, Oh, Cyclops, what would I have done without you? And Bobby's like, Oh, Cyclops, what would I have done without you? Rats. Any one of us could have saved you. And I'm like, really, Bobby? Are you overcompensating a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Remember last issue when you had no use for the girls? Uh, uh, yeah. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Bobby's still figuring himself out. He'll be okay.
0: Yeah. And so is Beast because he hasn't become the Beast yet.
1: No. In fact, next issue, all of the personalities kind of get a bit of an overhaul to make them more interesting and distinct. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, FBI agent Duncan.
0: Uh, he's a regular.
1: No, he like has two appearances, but he also gets mentioned a lot like this little brief era of X-Men in these early 60s before mutants get demonized. He's kind of important as a background character for how Xavier's doing stuff. But um, but yeah, he's hardly ever seen. Well, it's later on when Xavier disappears and the team has to disband. Agent Duncan is one who shows up and says, you got to disband. He has this
0: scalp thing. They call it a scalp device. And I guess Professor X gave that to him to contact Professor X whenever he needs to, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a cool idea. It's like making the human have the ability to reach out telepathically to a telepath, I guess. I don't know if they use this often or ever again, but uh, I feel like the X-Men are always in some way or another dealing with the government, which kind of makes sense because we're talking about, you know, literal racism and uh, segregation and things like that. So. I guess it, it, makes, it makes sense that Professor X would have government people, I guess.
1: Right. It's a, it's a, it's a cool character concept to have. It makes sense to have him. Mm-hmm. They just don't end up using him very much once he's in place. Yeah. But the Vanisher's entire reason for stealing the plans was to get blackmail money.
0: Yeah. Why not just steal money?
1: But Xavier, for some reason, says, I suspected that stealing those plans might be his likely next move. I was oh. like, really? You, you you suspected that's what he was going to do?
0: Well, he's a telepath. He can say that about anything, anytime he wants.
1: Oh, you know what? You are so right. He can <laughs> read anyone's brain from a million miles I away. I
0: suspected you had to grab that box of Kleenex.
1: Yeah, right. No, really,
0: I did. I could totally tell I, you we were going to do that.
1: In your brain, you said, I'm going to do that, and that's how I knew. <laughs> that was the first clue.
0: Yeah. Uh, I like the whole – like just like the Vulture. I remember the vultures like – We got the whole air covered and then like he opened up the grate from the below and just grabbed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same thing here in a way, even more stupid though. It's like they have these really important plans. They don't want him to steal. So how do they protect it? They put it on a table and surround the table with a couple guys with machine guns. Yeah. Like that's your best option. And then the vanisher just appears on top of the table and takes it and disappears. So that was really hard.
1: But I don't really have a whole lot else to say. They do a lot of preparation to go against the vanisher and then (sighs) bam, it's over.
0: I will say I feel like they don't use Professor X to solve their problems a lot, which is probably a good thing, because technically he could just beat any villain they ever fight mm-hmm. in, in this in this exact same manner, except for Magneto, because he wears his protector helmet thing.
1: There are two or three times that it happens, like right kind of close together here in the early. So it, it's enough that I like gives the feel of it being a regular thing, kind of like Aunt May getting sick. Aunt May doesn't actually get sick all the time. But she it enough yeah. in the early years that you think it happens all the time.
0: You just have to be careful because this is kind of like praying to Odin, you know? Like, why doesn't he just always pray to Odin when he's having a problem then, right? Right. Um, Professor X can solve a lot. So at some point, they ought to say something like, Professor X doesn't like to tamper with people's minds unless he absolutely has to. You That's know?
1: eventually what he decides, but he takes right. a well to get that ethic.
0: Yeah, because they suddenly realize, why doesn't Professor X just solve all these problems? Why doesn't he make every mutant he comes across good?
1: Did you notice that we don't even see what happens to the Vanisher in this story? Uh, like, no. He takes his he takes his mind away, and then we don't see him for the next three pages as the story ends. Just presumably got arrested, I guess. We just pre- he says he'll trouble us no more, and we never see him again.
0: I mean, that's a pretty messed up way to deal with him, too. Just make him mm-hmm. completely forget everything about himself.
1: Yeah, like, like you could make him extreme. forget his
0: power instead of his entire
1: childhood. Forget how to use his power. Forget what he was doing there in the first place. Forget his plans for that day, but to take away his entire mind and, and, and self-awareness is, is harsh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like he was stripping it all away. There was three panels of it just getting worse and worse. At first it was, ooh, I can't talk. And then it's, oh, I can't vanish. Oh, I don't even know who I am. So It's like he just stripped him away one layer at a time or something.
1: So I feel like this story was both more and less complex in the first issue like we got a lot more back and forth mm-hmm. between the x-men and the vanisher but at the end of the day there wasn't a whole lot else that was done
0: no um
1: i didn't dig it as much i hate the vanisher's costume mm-hmm. um, well you know
0: magneto's cooler of course
1: magneto is definitely cooler but xavier is like we were just saying kind of terrible at the end so this was a bit of a step down for me
0: there's a lot of training there was a Mutant villain of the week. There was a lot of stern taskmaster stuff. There was a lot of bantering and fighting amongst each other. So pretty much the same thing as X-Men number one in a way. Mm -hmm. Just not Magneto.
1: Not Magneto. Yeah. But next issue is the blob. So that's cool.
0: That's much better.
1: I like the blob. Yeah. Frank Dukes. Okay. So we have a third issue. We do. And actually, we haven't even hit the hour mark. So that's, you know, unusual. Awesome. But that's because
0: um, um, Fury and X-Men were much the same. So we just don't have a lot to say. However, in this book, there's so much to say about the human cobra.
1: Journey into Mystery, <laughs> 98. We, 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 we may not talk about the cobra that much, but that's okay. Um, all right. So this is written by Stanley, illustrated by Don Heckity Heck. Yeah. So what's that all about? Mm-hmm. We're waiting for the return of Kirby and he comes back for one issue. He's done that to us before. Yeah, but he's still doing the backup. So that's a thing. All right. So Thor is upset because last issue, he wanted to confess his love to Jane. He wanted to tell Jane he was Thor. But he's like, you know what? I just got to check with dad one more time. So give me a second, Jane. And when I when to check with dad. I'll get back to you. And Jane's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm tired of waiting. So I quit because you know what? I don't want to work for a wishy-washy person that I might love and give my heart away to accidentally. So um, now she's gone and Thor will never see her again. So he's upset. He turns into Don Blake and um, mourns about it for a while. And then he turns into Thor and goes to talk to Odin. But then yeah, Odin's yeah. like, yeah, you still can't love Jane. It's still not allowed. Go home. So they're uh-huh. like, okay, fine." So then we change scenes to like the other side of the world and like Europe or somewhere and um, there's science happening with snakes and skinny bald lab assistant is really upset because the professor knows all the science and does all the science, gets all the credit for the science. Meanwhile, he's just an assistant. So he's like, you know what? I think I'll kill him. And since they're doing science with snakes, he uses the cobra venom to kill the professor. And he's like, I'll take all the credit for the science now. So, um, Don Blake goes, oh, this is all happening in Bombay, India. So Don Blake goes to Bombay. Oh, cause he wants to go on vacations. Like, you know what? If I can't have Jane, I think I'll just go on some trips and some traveling and try to get out of my mind. So he goes to Bombay, hears about the death of the professor, turns into Thor, goes to the professor and says, yes, it was a cobra and he was radioactive and he bit my lab assistant. And now my lab assistant has inherited the proportionate speed and strength of a cobra. Yes. <laughs> right. He was bitten by a radioactive cobra, because that's new and original. Uh, excuse
0: me, Spider-Man fan. <laughs> Don't get too sarcastic <laughs> about that science. That's how it works in your universe.
1: I just feel like well, you, you, you can play that card once. <laughs> and you got Spider-Man. You play it again, and it's just like, oh my gosh, really? Is that, is that what we're doing again? <laughs> right. Bitten by a radioactive fill-in-the-blank. It's it's Mad Libs Marvel Powers.
0: I think we should we you and I should create a comic universe where every animal becomes radioactive one day and lots of people get bitten and they all have powers. Mm-hmm. I was bitten powers. by
1: a radioactive rhinoceros and now I'm missing an arm. <laughs> <laughs> I was gored by a radioactive bull. I mean, <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, Thor, uh, okay, so Cobra, after all this happens in India, he decides to go back to the States. He hops a jet and goes home. Don Blake finds out that he hops a jet. And instead of hopping a jet as well, he's like, I'll turn into Thor and I'll ride the wind back and maybe beat him there. Note, wind is much slower than jet. Just to put that out there. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) We end up back in New York. And um, the Cobra's harassing people, so Thor harasses him. The Cobra has this really cool outfit now. Like, I really like the Cobra's costume. Mm-hmm. He's got these, like, you know, wrist rocket launchers and these other, like, cool Cobra-themed weapons. He actually manages to wrap Thor up in some rope at some point because Cobras are, you know, like, they wrap snakes wrap around people and constrict and stuff. Um, and there's fighting... Um, the Cobra ends up escaping from Thor and he ends up going and harassing the very same doctor's office where Jane Foster's working now. And Jane Foster's like, Dr. New Guy, you should stand up to Cobra. And Dr. New Guy is like, uh, I'm too scared. Cobra, you can, you can do whatever you want and have whatever you want. We're not going to give you any trouble. What do you want? And Jane's like, dude's a coward i can't work for him to think i left my bow dr blake to work for you loser so um thor shows up and um cobra menaces jane foster thor's like don't menace jane foster i'll kick your face so he kicks thor's face <laughs> thor kicks cobra's face cobra falls out the window jane foster falls out the window thor catches jane foster and um She leaves Dr. New Guy and goes back to work for Don Blake, and the Cobra gets away.
0: Yep. The end. What was his agenda? Because I can't remember either. He went to the doctor's office to get chemicals to do something, but was there a reason? What was the something? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I'd have to go back and read the dialogue again. Um, Yeah, I don't remember either.
0: So he he wasn't just randomly at that doctor's office, although it is pretty, you know, uh, coincidental that it's that doctor's office, but-
1: he tries to take control of some sort of industrial plant. Uh He's going to manufacture gallons of cobra serum.
0: Oh, what? Just for plan him. Plan
1: is just like the lizard. He's going to make a vast army of others like himself. He wants to make a whole bunch of radioactive cobra people to 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 work for him. Well, what's and, to say
0: they'll work for him?
1: Yeah, I don't think That's he's weird. thought this through.
0: So here's speaking of since we're talking about how. St- Silly the radioactive cobra thing is. You notice that most of the things he throws at Thor have nothing to do with his radioactive bite. Like he's supposed to be Spider-Man, but he's more like Cobra Man, like or more like a you know Bat Cobra. Like all yeah. all, all his gadgets are cobra themed. So it's like A, where'd you get all these gadgets? You just killed the professor five minutes ago, and then B, like. What what exactly is your powers from
1: being bit by a radioactive cobra? I guess it's- he, he can slither along the wall and the ceiling. Now, I don't think cobras can stick to ceilings. I don't think that's in their power set. But this cobra can. He can slither on the ceiling and stick with his slime trail. Well,
0: eventually he can squeeze into small places and crush people, I think.
1: And that makes more sense for, for snaky powers, you
0: know? Yeah. Uh, especially the no bones thing. But, uh, well, they have bones, I guess. I don't know. Do snakes have
1: bones? They have something. So the reason he goes to the doctor's office is evidently the exact same reason he goes to the plant. He's like, you must provide me with serums in your medicine cabinet. Okay. Serums which I can achieve my ultimate objective. So he's just trying to figure out how to make more. Okay, here's my take on this. Klaus Jansen is a lab assistant because he's a crappy scientist. And right. He's working for Dr. Schechten or whatever the guy's name is. And he wants the fame for doing the science, but he doesn't actually know the science
0: mm-hmm. so
1: he's taking over these places because he thinks that they can help him do the science he needs but he doesn't actually know what that will be okay and the fact that the fact that thor stops him is actually good because otherwise he would end up not knowing how to accomplish his objective
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he wasn't trying to rob anybody or anything i guess he was probably thor was probably mad because he killed his teacher but uh you know So it's a personal thing.
1: It is. Yeah. Now this is just, just to back up just a little bit, this is not exactly a cliffhanger and a resolution, but this is very much like this happens in one story, which directly leads to the events of the next story. It could be a time gap. There could be five minutes or five weeks later that he's raging in his office, but it's like Jane Foster left dramatic uh, point to end. And we're upset about Jane Foster leaving in the next issue. It's just very, it's much Mm -hmm. more directly connected than anything Thor has done.
0: Or any of our books have done. No, Fantastic Four. Fantastic, Fantastic
1: Four has picked the up the Man. plot. Yeah,
0: Had the Ant-Man right after the Ant-Man. So that was like the same moment. Oh, and they well, also returned from the moon. Same issue. So they've done this. But yeah, like for, those for were, Thor, this is the first time. Yeah.
1: Those were like plot connected without necessarily being drama connected. Mm-hmm. And this is drama connected without necessarily being plot connected. You know?
0: Yeah. I was actually kind of disappointed that it was resolved so fast.
1: Yeah, Jane's, like, back there the next issue.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, who cares, I guess. I thought it would last a little longer. I was glad it didn't last, you know, 500 issues, but maybe more than one would have been cool.
1: Would have been cool. But, but I, I like scene. how
0: Thor gets so upset, though. Like, he's thrashing his office as Thor. We haven't really seen him lose his cool like that before.
1: No. He's kind of like Superman. Like, he doesn't really get upset very often, but when he does, wow, it's a doozy.
0: Yeah, don't don't get upset when you're the strongest person in the world. Try and maintain your composure. But he's a god. He's allowed right. to blow off steam once in a while, right?
1: Um. So I was kind of thinking, putting myself into the mind of Don Blake. All right. So Don Blake is a dude. He likes a girl. Mm-hmm. He went on vacation. And he found a cane that turned into a magic hammer and gave him superpowers. That was pretty cool. Yeah. But then he also got an evil brother. And then he also got an overbearing father. Mm-hmm. And now he's finding himself forced to conform to the wishes of a family that, like, a year ago didn't exist. Yeah. And that, that cost you, him the woman he loves. And I can see why he'd be upset.
0: Yeah, like the technically, I mean, we know better now, but technically there aren't even his family. He's just suffering someone else's life.
1: Right. Because I'm Thor, because I have to be Thor, I've got all this crap I have to deal with. So you know what? I'm going to stop being Thor. I don't need it.
0: Does he say that in here? Because that's not a I bad idea. I feel like he
1: did. I feel like uh, he stops being Thor and then he... Like, reluctantly becomes Thor really quickly, a page or two later. Um, yeah, I had hoped I'd never again find the need to become Thor, and yet perhaps I could help my old friend if I get to him in time. Mm-hmm. It's probably so it's he-
0: probably hard not to stamp that uh, stick, because I sure would do that all the time. Right. You know, it's like, I'm not going to drink soda ever again, you know, but it's lunchtime and I'm kind of thirsty, so. that It's just be like that, but on steroids, because you can turn into the God of Thunder.
1: Also, at the top of page two, whenever he turns into Don Blake, he's like, I'm never going to turn into Thor again, except dad's calling. I got to go talk to him. So it's like he keeps on being made to turn into Thor, but he doesn't want to be Thor anymore.
0: But this is like the first time he's contentious back because, you know, up until now, they've been pretty good buddy, buddy, father, son. Right. And then like his dad will tell him, don't do this. And he'll say, Ah, shucks. Okay. But this time he's like putting his back on him and walking away, which apparently is a big no-no in Asgard. Because yeah, everybody you don't turn back on
1: right? All Father Odin,
0: and I was thinking, yeah, but you know what? There was that other issue where Loki convinced Thor that Thor was bad, and nobody could beat him. So it's like, what are you guys going to do about it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thor is the most powerful <laughs> dude in that room. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what. You Unless think. you hit him on the special spot in the back of his head. <laughs> well, even that doesn't stop him. It just makes him dumb. Right. Uh. Um, well, to be fair, Odin is kind of a crappy advice dad. He's like, you know, I've got. The answer for you and your love just <laughs> lifts into my advice. Forget about her. Yeah. You just stop thinking about her. Go do something else and then you'll forget about her. You'll be, you'll, you'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because that's so easy. Right. What a great idea. What a great idea. Um, I don't know if I like Thor doing the whole like India thing. Although I guess Don is just a well-traveled dude because Norway and then he was in what? China the other day. The other issue we were just watching was reading about or
1: something. For a guy who can't get around very easily, he sure gets around a lot. And he knows government
0: people and he's in the army or at least a medical person aiding the army sometimes. Oh, and he went to uh, uh, Russia in his second appearance. So yeah, he's a worldly dude, which is kind of cool. Yep. Because it's not like Thor is American per se. So I guess it's not a big deal that he goes to India. It is interesting that he always has these guys that he knows that we've never heard of before.
1: He has a very complicated life. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about this. I mean, Jane Foster comes back. There is one funny part, though, on page 11, um, when the Cobra is harassing them. And Jane's like, I can't believe it. You're nothing but a, a coward. And to think I left Dr. Blake in order to work for you. Although, he is lame. <laughs> and And unglamorous. But still, you'll never be half the man that he is. Okay.
0: One... I love how, yeah, because the Cobra's just sitting there while she has this monologue, I guess. Right. Um, I don't think it's especially fair to Dr. Uh, What's-His-Face.
1: Right, Dr. Her, Whatever.
0: I mean, this guy is a supervillain and he can kill them both, and he's asking them to cooperate, and the doctor's like, Yeah, I'll cooperate. Like, I would think most of us in that situation would just cooperate. Right?
1: That's kind of what you're taught to do. Like yeah. money money can always be replaced, but your lives can't. Right.
0: So it's essentially like Cobra is essentially like a guy in a room with a gun pointed at you, asking you for your wallet. Now you're not supposed to fight him if you don't if you don't feel like you absolutely have to. You're supposed to hand over your wallet and then everybody lives. So on that sense, I don't like that Jane paints him as this coward, because we would all do that. She she's not fighting him either, you notice. Um and then two, it's like we're we're doing the whole like doctor versus boyfriend thing again like just because the doctor didn't punch out the bad guy and be a hero that means you can't be his nurse anymore what does that have to do with whether he's a good doctor and a good person to like give you a paycheck i don't really get that so it's it's like this whole it's like there's a relationship that shouldn't really be there
1: right kind of right.
0: weird it's all weird it's like he's not it he's not her doc he's not a doctor he's her would be boyfriend or something
1: well, it's weird because although we, as- I've a- always associated issue 97 with the return of Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby is actually out for three more issues. I mean, not three more. Three issues, including this one, while Don Heck is the main artist. So Jack Kirby continues to the backups, which we'll talk about in two ticks, but he's not actually on the book again until 101. <laughs>
0: Well, he doesn't draw Thor as cool, but I'll go, I'll give Don Heck some props for like say like page 2 or something where Donald Blake's in like misery and crying in his hands and stuff like that. He he's very good at the romance drama stuff.
1: Yeah. I like I like Don Heck. Mm-hmm. He gets he gets bad rap but I I like him. I do too. Okay. Well, that takes us to The Tales of Asgard, Home of the Gods. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, so we're still in the, in the phase of the book where there is another five-page story, like between the Thor story and the backup story. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ignore that um, and go to the Tales of Asgard story, which uh, you say, oh yeah, I hope you read it. I did. I, no,
0: I read it. I just forgot we were talking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. So Odin battles Ymir, king of the ice giants.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we sort of had the the creation of the world. On the last issue, and it ended with like Odin looking at the tree, the World Tree Yggdrasil, and waiting for man to show up. Uh, and this one opens with Odin just chilling out, be like, you know what? I need to go kill me some ice giants. So he hops in his chariot and he rides to the land of the ice giants, and he's like, "Death to the enemies of Asgard!" And uh, he fights the ice giants and falls off his chariot. Um, but he uses his big sword to like hit the ground and it creates this huge chasm. And then Ymir king of all the ice giants comes along and is like, you're not winning yet. I'm going to throw this giant pointy ice at you. And it hits the mountain that Odin's standing on and destroys the mountain. So Odin falls down and huge Ymir is following him and about to get him. But then, um, Odin gets to a volcano and hits the ground in the volcano with his sword and it makes a fiery ring around Ymir that's going to trap him forever. And then Odin goes home and sits on his throne and stares at the camera. Odin kicks some butt. Yeah, this is like Odin kicking all the butt. Mm-hmm.
0: So Odin um. versus Thor could be interesting. Unless unless Odin, Odin now is supposed to be older and more tired or something.
1: Uh, yeah, I think this is still like... I mean, he looks old because he has, like, the white beard and everything, but... Um,
0: no, I mean, like, is Odin in the Thor comic, when Odin and Thor are talking and we're reading Odin, is he now, like, centuries or millennial older? And this is so far back that he was, like, a young man and super powerful. And now he, yes, can, now he think, can't do this so. anymore?
1: I think yes. Yeah. Um, so, Ice Giants versus Frost Giants? hmm Like, we met Ymir, or we saw Ymir briefly last issue, and he was called the King of the Frost Giants. And Mm -hmm. now he's the leader of the ice giants. And what's weird is that like Marvel will continue to distinguish between frost giants and ice giants, but the myths don't like you could translate the Norse from into ice or frost. And it's usually they're just called frost giants. So is Ymir a frost or an ice giant? Yeah, it's a good question. In the myths, he's the leader of the frost giants. In this, ice giants look like giant ice people like Ymir does. Frost giants are going to look like regular people. And eventually, in the more modern comics, they're kind of stylized after the frost giants in the movie.
0: Okay, so in Marvel, Ymir is an ice giant.
1: In Marvel, Ymir is an ice giant. Okay. Um, But I did want to bring in, we do have our friend who is a, a worshiper of the Norse gods. And he does have a bit of an insight in this. Um, and then we can continue a, uh, you know, conversation discussing it. He says, okay, let me tell you what they got right. Well, you should one. say who
0: he is first.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Gene. How you doing? Yeah. Gene, Gene, the podcasting machine. Gene Hendricks, um, is our resident expert on the Norse myths because they are his, his, uh, his, uh, I don't know the word, his body of belief. That's, a um, so he's, Gene says, let me tell you what they got right in on this one. Yes, Odin was involved in killing Ymir, and that's pretty much all they got right.
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. So we're deviating, because last issue they didn't do too bad, if I recall.
1: Right, right, right. So he goes in the morning, he says, keep in mind that this is part of the Norse creation story. Ymir was the first of the frost giants, and he tended to sleep a lot. He reproduced asexually... Which is where all of the other giants came from, including Odin's mother and grandmother. Like the women that like bore and re- what the two B names that are Odin's father and grandfather. Uh huh. I don't know. Their remember spouses either. were giants mm. from Ymir. So one day while Ymir was sleeping, Odin got together with his brothers, Vili and Vey, and decided to kill the giant. There was no fight. There was no trapping of Ymir and no direct killing of all the frost giants. They decided to go kill Ymir. So when the three gods killed Ymir, there was so much blood that it flooded Ganungagap, which is the area between the lands of fire and ice, and that either killed all the other giants or swept them away. I guess it depends on which version of the story you're reading. What was it called again? Ganungagap. Gazuntite. No, that's another G word. Oh. <laughs> um, so then the brothers, Odin, Vili, and Vey, built Midgard, and Asgard out of Ymir's corpse. Mm-hmm. So Odin coming down from Asgard to fight Ymir in this story makes no sense at all. Yeah. Not only that, it didn't exist until later. He's
0: defending Asgard because they right. attacked first. So I'm wondering if Stanley's just a pen name for Odin. <laughs> like maybe just Odin wrote this story to make himself look good.
1: I would not put it past Odin. To change the events and make himself look good. Yeah. That is definitely an Odin thing to do.
0: Like Asgard's already here and these mean, big, mean, evil ice giants are coming to attack and someone blows the horn. So he comes down from the heavens in his Pegasus chariot and all by himself with his one sword defeats all of them and then goes home and pats himself on the back because everybody's safe. What a hero. Versus the real story, which is, "Eh, I just feel like killing them and they're sleeping right now. So let's do it.
1: Gene wraps up with, we went from a pretty faithful telling in the last issue to something bat guano crazy in this one. (laughs) Buckle in, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride.
0: Yeah. So they just decided to go a more heroic route, I
1: guess. Yeah. But next issue, we have Searcher of the Fire Demon. So that's... Okay. So we go from ice to fire. Right. Um, Wow. I felt like the story kind of had a non-ending. Like, all of a sudden, Odin's just, like, sitting in his chair. Doo 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 Well, they
0: only had... Let's see. One, two, three. It's only five pages. It was a cool the fight. the first
1: page is a splash.
0: Great fight. You know, very Kirby. If you like Kirby fights, it was pretty good. But that's all it was, really. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's pretty short. And Kirby opens up the art, so there's not a whole lot of room for the stuff to happen. Because the panels are so big.
0: He comes down, he defends Asgard, goes back home. Yeah. The end.
1: I think Ymir's next issue is that one issue of Avengers with the Black Knight where they had to fight Ymir and Surtur. It's like a fire and ice story. Mm -hmm. It's issue 61 of the Avengers, so he doesn't show up again for a really long time.
0: Well, it'll be interesting. I was just going to say, like maybe uh, some of these tales will actually bleed into actual Thor stories because Thor hasn't encountered any of these people. No. And I imagine he has fought Ymir at some point in his career.
1: I think there's a certain degree of that, but I cannot tell you exactly what or where.
0: Probably a long ways coming, but. Uh.
1: So thank you, Gene, for that contribution. Yeah, very cool. Um, but I guess that wraps up our issue.
0: Yeah, our episode and our episode and our episode.
1: So I'm going to see who all likes us. Well, while you do that, uh, if you've never while liked I'm us, doing that where can people find the show? Uh, we
0: can go to makearsmarvel.com That's going to have all your episodes. It's going to you can uh, you know find our RSS feed to. Or our links to either Google Play or your Android or your iPhone or whatever kind of phone I guess you use. I can't think of any others. Um, You'll also see like panels that we put up on there for each episode. And you can even just play the episode directly on the site if that's how you'd like to do it. Um, And you can email us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. The emails have been coming in a little more regularly than they did before after since our uh, since we released a uh, as of this recording we released one mailbag episode so we'll probably do another one soon so keep them coming we like to read them on air and and you know either answer questions or have our questions answered even better
1: and we always appreciate uh, support on the social medias so retweeting episodes on twitter or sharing episode postings on facebook is always appreciated and we like to acknowledge each and every one of you who has Uh, joined the social network. So I think the last person on Twitter that I mentioned was Movie Mad Matt because he had the reading, writing, reading, writing, arithmetic are the three R's and Marx Brothers, Monty Python and Mystery Science Theater 3000 are the three M's. I remember saying that, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've also had Buford T. Justice at Hagar the Horrible Six. Uh, William Bozard. He, uh, he's a dad. He's a Bronze Age comic book fan. And he's an old school Southern wrestling fan. And we have John Lovett and Bub. Bub is at Captain Sulu. So that's a Twitter handle for to get. Wow. Uh, he is a vintage and retro nerd culture currently reading his Bronze Age DC comics and tweeting out thoughts. And we have had today our 150th follower on the Twitters. And that (sighs) is. Really? Yeah, we got to wow. 150 today. That was at jerk with a mouth. He manshu until, and he says, "Your friendly neighborhood atheist jerk with a lot of offensive jokes. God doesn't exist except Deadpool. He got dismembered for our sins." So, uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> I was amused by that. I thought that was funny. Um, so, 150 followers on Twitter is pretty fantastic. Yeah.
0: Now let's shoot for a thousand.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: Have you seen that phenomenon? Like, there's all these people like making handles and stuff, like, let's talk Aquaman or let's talk Batgirl or let's talk whatever. I
1: did just see that. Like, there They're was a Let's everywhere. Talk Avengers that started up.
0: They're everywhere. And some of those guys are getting pretty high numbers, I think, because they just post panels all the time. So we should just start posting pictures every day or something. That'll work.
1: We've had one Facebook like since last episode, and that's Pat Sampson, who is okay. also a, um, a podcaster. Uh, he. Um, just started up a transformers chronicles podcast that i plan to listen to soon talking about the old marvel transformers comic series so that has me excited so you can follow that at the uh, the long box crusade is one of those podcast feeds that has multiple podcasts on it which i'm kind of trying to start over at john reeds comics right now there's an image show going but uh, when this comes out there's probably also going to be a Super Sentai show going over there. So, really, yeah, my son and I sat down last weekend and recorded a commentary of, you know, Super Sentai is the Japanese show that became Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do heckling commentaries of the original 1970s TV show. So, so
0: is that better gonna... than Power Rangers? Cause that seems unlikely.
1: Um, in the era of uh, that became Power Rangers, I do tend to like the Japanese ones more. But the Japanese show is actually a lot older, and so when you go back into the 70s, watch the original ones, you're looking at like 1970s Japanese TV live-action superheroes. It's pretty low budget, but they are fun.
0: Yeah, I was being uh, sarcastic. I mean, it had to be
1: better, wouldn't it? I don't know. I, I <laughs> I'm not, I'm not super of, into the American Power Rangers. All of yeah, there are a lot of really vocal Power Rangers fans. I oh. just I prefer to tend to, I prefer to I tend to prefer the Japanese version. Anyways, so um. That is our episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. So until Cobra becomes King Cobra and realizes his dream of having a bunch of snake people work for him,
0: make ours marvel.